0: Okay, so there are sheets in the back. I think there are still sheets. Did we run out? No, we still have a few more. Okay, so if you didn't get one, just grab one of those. Uh, We'll be using that this morning to kind of walk through this issue of preparing to talk about sin. So for the last few months, if you've been with us, we've been looking at how to love our church and how to grow in fellowship with one another. And as we grow in those relationships... One of the things that we hope will come out of this is the freedom to talk to one another about sin. Now, admittedly, this isn't the most pleasant conversation to have at times. It's often uncomfortable uh, to be exposed with the sin that's in our lives. But listen, it's a means of grace that God has given us one another to help against this battle of sin that remains within us. So when we view it from that perspective, it changes your mindset, or at least hopefully it does. That we're in this together. We're all waging war against the sin that remains as believers. And listen, this is a battle that the Lord has designed for us to fight together. Right? So the sin that you're personally dealing with really is a communal event in the sense that God has given us one another to help counsel and walk through that sin that's in each other's lives. And it will be a battle that we will fight until we draw our last breath here on this earth or until the Lord comes to get us. And truly, this can be seen in a positive light when we understand a few crucial aspects about talking about sin and fighting that sin. So the first important step when we consider talking to one another about sin, either in our own lives or in the life of the person to whom we are speaking, is to, number one there on your notes, remember what the gospel is about. Oftentimes when we think of the gospel, or perhaps when somebody asks or we ask somebody if they know the gospel, what we really mean is, do you know how to be made right with God? And certainly that is a vital component to the gospel. It's what the Bible calls justification or being justified. But that's not the whole definition of the gospel. The gospel is certainly about God making sinners right with himself through the work of his son and counting his perfect life to them and counting their sin against Jesus And through his perfect life and sacrificial death, Jesus cancels the penalty of sin, which is death. And because he has been condemned in our place, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But in addition to that, though, and very important for us to understand in this study this morning, is the gospel is also about God conforming those who have been justified into the image of His Son. And while justification is that one-time event, that one-time declaration by God that you are not guilty any longer, but that you are in fact righteous, sanctification, or being conformed into the image of Christ, is a lifelong process, which, listen, it presupposes that we will be fighting against remaining sin until we are glorified. Which is the last component of the gospel, that day when we perfectly reflect the image of Christ. So, to summarize that more succinctly here on the uh, PowerPoint, and just looking at this from the position of when we're talking about sin, justification is the penalty of sin being canceled. So, that's that one time event, God declares you righteous. Sanctification is the power of sin being broken progressively throughout the Christian's life. That happens as you behold Jesus more and more. As you see him and you grow in holiness, sin weakens in our lives. It's progressively broken. And then glorification is that glorious day when the presence of sin will be completely eradicated and our struggle against sin will be over. And we long for that for that day. Okay? So when we understand the gospel this way, which is how the Bible defines it, we recognize that we as Christians right now we're in this second stage. We're in the stage of sanctification. We have been justified, we're not yet glorified, we are being sanctified. So that's where we currently sit we recognize that indwelling sin still remains and listen we have to be careful not to think about one another or ourselves in a glorified perfected state just yet even though we see in the bible that it's already a done deal in god's mind we live in the present and we're still fighting against that and and the reason that i say we have to be careful to guard against that because if we do this, if we think of ourselves this way or we try to see others this way as if we're already perfect, what will happen is it will shut down communication between us rather than opening it up. Now, I know we, we don't think this way theologically. I'm pretty sure that most of us, if we were given a test and the uh, definition was given, we could probably link it up with the correct word, Right? But sometimes I think we struggle with this practically. And what I mean by that is if you find yourself battling with a certain sin but you don't want to talk to anyone about it because you're ashamed of it because their perception of you may be something other than what it currently is. You have that mindset that I'm already in this glorified state or that others are already seeing me this way even though I know that's not true, right? None of us have arrived yet. We're not there yet. We're on our way. And we have to get that out in the open, not only intellectually, but in our conversations with one another. And we're fearful of that. Pride still remains. We're afraid to open up to one another. And there may be various reasons of why we're afraid to do that could be you've been burned in the past or you just don't feel comfortable yet, whatever the case may be. But one thing that we want to make sure we avoid is to just shut down and not speak to other people about things that are going on in our lives. God has given us one another to walk with one another, to see each of us conformed into the image of his Son. So we don't want to leave this false impression intact in our own minds That we're already glorified, or at least we want others to think that way about us. Because listen, imagine if we had a church with that type of thinking, of nobody wanting to let down their mask, so to speak, and talk about who we really are, who God knows we really are. If we do that, or if that is who we are, then listen, we rob one another and ourselves of the privilege of being instruments of God's grace in each other's lives that God uses to conform us into the image of Christ. And that's why this first point is so crucial. When we understand the gospel rightly, when we understand what the cross is about, here is what we know we are wicked and rebellious, right? Not just unconverted. When we get converted, we still have sin that remains. Now, that doesn't characterize who we are, right? We're children of God now, by God's grace. We're being conformed into the image of Christ. But we still have things that are warring against us in our lives. We pray that that wickedness and rebellion becomes less and less as we grow in holiness But it doesn't change the fact that we are still prone to sin on a daily basis. Can any of us honestly say since becoming a Christian I remember a day when I didn't sin. (laughs) Didn't happen, right? You can't remember that? Can any of us say I remember three hours when I didn't have a sinful thought or some inclination that was opposed to God. There's this constant war that's going on Within us. And what our hope is, and I believe what the Bible teaches, is as we grow in relation with one another, we become more open with one another and we help one another to fight against that remaining sin. What the Bible declares for us is that when Jesus died on the cross for the sins of his people, he didn't die only for the sins that you committed as an unbeliever but also for all the sins that you have committed since becoming a believer and all the sins that you will commit until the day of glory. When we understand that all of us are fighting against sin in one way or another, then we will be postured to truly help each other. I love what Milton Vincent has to say about this reality of sin in his book. It's called A Gospel Primer for Christians. If you're looking for a good... Book. It's short, but it's meaty, packed with scripture, a gospel primer for Christians. Here's what he had to say when thinking through this aspect of the gospel or the cross, as he refers to it here. He says, The cross exposes me before the eyes of other people, informing them of the depth of my depravity. If I wanted others to think highly of me, I would conceal the fact that a shameful slaughter of the perfect Son of God was required that I might be saved. But when I stand at the foot of the cross and am seen by others under the light of that cross, I am left uncomfortably exposed before their eyes. Indeed, the most humiliating statement that could ever be whispered about me is blared from Golgotha's hill, and my self-righteous reputation is left in ruins in the wake of its revelations. With the worst facts about me thus exposed to the view of others, I find myself feeling that I truly have nothing left to hide. Thankfully, the more exposed I see that I am by the cross, the more I find myself opening up to others about ongoing issues of sin in my life. Why would anyone be shocked to hear of my struggles with past and present sin when the cross already told them that I am a desperately sinful person? And the more open I am in confessing my sins to fellow Christians, the more I enjoy the healing of the Lord in response to their grace-filled counsel and prayers. Experiencing richer levels of Christ's love and companionship with such saints, I give thanks for the gospel's role in forcing my hand towards self-disclosure and the freedom that follows. I think that's a great definition of what it looks like In the community of saints of God's people, when we have those relationships and we're talking to one another about the sin that we're fighting and going through. And I love the last statement that he made there because it's so crucial to this. I give thanks for the gospel's role in forcing my hand towards self-disclosure and the freedom that follows. That's why God has given us one another. To help one another to understand the freedom that we have in Christ as we fight against that sin. So the gospel shows us that after we are justified, we will have a continual battle with sin, a battle in which we can make great, great progress, even though we will fall short of perfection on this side of glory. But That being said, listen, the desire of the Christian will always be to strive for holiness, which is a fruit of genuine conversion. So I want to look at a few different passages here to help us to see that we have sin remaining and therefore we need to fight against it and that God would use us in each other's lives to that end. Okay. So the first one here is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. If somebody can read that for us. Okay, so there's the first aspect of it. I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Okay, so Peter's speaking here to believers, identifying them as sojourners and exiles. In other words, this isn't our home. We're headed elsewhere. We have no city here, so to speak. And notice what these passions of the flesh do. They wage war against your soul. So here you have the Bible declaring there's a war that's going on. But oftentimes I think that we put up that mask to make it appear that there's really nothing going on. We're not free to open up with one another and talk about the sin, the war that goes on within each of our hearts. Galatians 5, 16 and 17, if somebody can read that for us. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Okay, so there you have that again the spirit and the flesh. These two things are prominent within us, right? In the way that the Bible talks about this in other places is the old man and the new man, right? The old man is dead and buried, but he's still clinging, still fighting. And the spirit and the flesh are at war with one another. They're opposed to each other. Okay. So what are are these things showing us? That there's still a fight. There's still a battle. There's still a war that's going on in the heart of every believer. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, so notice... Something needs to take place here. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And that's the testimony of every Christian. You want to put to death the deeds of the body, right? Anybody tired of seeing Adam still remaining within them, right? Yeah, we want to be free from that. We want to be done with that. So we seek to put those things to death by the Spirit, which if you remember from Will's lesson last week, one of the key ways in Ephesians 6 of how that's described The sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. So that's a big clue as to how we put to death the deeds of the body. But again, what's that showing is that there's still things that are happening within the heart of a believer. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 10. Somebody can read this for us. There's a great statement. Here's here's who you are. You have been raised with Christ, but then notice the last part of this. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You're not there yet, right? So you have to be diligent. You have to be disciplined. Set your mind on things that are above, right? Because the tendency that still remains within you is to set your mind on earthly things, on things things of the flesh, okay? But based on the reality of who you are, Go ahead, Deborah, if you wouldn't mind continuing to read that if you oh, yeah, that's okay. Good to hear, um, what is in you? Sexual immorality, the passion, even desire, of justice, which is a total of, on academies So there you have that language there again. You've put off the old self, put on the new self, okay? And there's things that must be done. This is the way that you used to live, but this is the way that you ought to live now. So you must kill these things. But again, what is it presuppose that these things must be put to death, right? They still remain within you. So if a brother or sister comes up to you and, and you see this in your own heart as well, I'm struggling with covetousness, I'm struggling with sexual immorality, I'm struggling with passion, I'm struggling with evil desire. We shouldn't be like, wow, you're a real wicked person, right? No, because the Bible's telling us these are the things that we're fighting with. They're not acceptable. If there isn't a war going on there, then there should be a problem. If you're comfortable with any of those, then that's where the issue lies. But your desire is to put these things to death, Right? That's what Milton Vincent was talking about earlier, that we shouldn't be surprised or shocked when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I'm struggling with this, that, or the other thing. Okay, We don't have this. It's like this is going to be the reality, but let's walk with one another and help one another so that we can grow in holiness and in the fear of the Lord. Okay, We'll get to that passage here in just a second. Now, on point number one there... We spent a significant amount of time talking about things that you probably already know, but I felt you really need to be reminded of, and myself as well. It's important to lay that foundation so that we can rightly understand that all of us, as believers, are at war with sin to some degree or another, and all of us need each other to help fight against the sin that remains. So with that, I want to now look at what our posture should be When we get in those discussions and talk about sin in each other's lives, which is number two there on your notes, we must recognize our own sin and also our vulnerability to commit the same type of sin that our brother or sister is speaking to us about. I was having lunch recently uh, with a a brother and we were just talking about just different things that are going on in the world and... uh, the just the things that are going on within our society and the sin and so on and so forth and and I remember he made a made a statement like I I could never do that I'm referring to a type of sin and I just wanted to lovingly speak to him about that and say it's only by the grace of God that we don't indulge in those same types of sin there's nothing within us that keeps us from doing the most wicked act you could possibly think of. All of us are prone to sin grievously against God. Now, as believers, we hope again that we see that diminishing, but I hope you never come to the point where you look at a sin and be like, that will never happen. Maybe that's not where I'm prone to go, but hopefully we'll say, that will never happen. Okay? Because It's only by the grace of God that it doesn't happen. That positions our hearts when we recognize our own sin and our vulnerability to it. It positions our heart in a state of humility, which is then where we are ready to help one another grow in that. Nothing could be more discouraging than if a brother or sister confides to you that they're battling with such and such a sin, and you're like, really? Really? You're battling with that? How discouraging would that be? Do you think that would shut down communication between you and that person? Okay, Or it would probably also affect that person ever wanting to talk to anybody else about the sin that remains. It's only by the grace of God that we do not commit great acts or greater acts of sin than we already are. So humility must be cultivated within our own hearts. Which means that as we are being helped by another brother or sister, listen, we already see our sins as worse than others' sins. So we have no reason to defend ourselves when someone points out our sin. Right? Someone confronts us about our sin, we shouldn't be shocked. (laughs) Right? Because we recognize you should be the worst sinner you know. If you're not the worst sinner you know, you don't know yourself well enough. Seriously, right? I mean, just the the thoughts that you have, the inclinations of your heart, you ought to be the worst sinner that you know. And if you are, that helps position you to be ready to reach out and help one another. You're never looking down on somebody else. You're always looking up to them, seeing how can I help this person battle with whatever sin it is that they're going through. And listen, as we are the ones helping another... We don't want to have that spirit of pride as if we've already arrived at perfection, or that we're really close to it and we're just waiting for others to catch up to us. We don't want to have that spirit. And this is where Jesus rebukes that mentality here in Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5, if somebody can read that for us. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your... Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Okay, very, very important text there. Right? You recognize, Jesus is pointing out, you've got sin too. (laughs) Right? Make sure your own heart understands properly your own sin and your vulnerability to it. Then you'll be in a position to truly come alongside another person and help them out. okay, And that's where we want to be. When we take time to rightly assess our own hearts and recognize our own sin, it will then make us effective in graciously helping others in their battles with sin. Now listen, this doesn't mean that we must publicly identify all our sins before we talk to somebody else about the sin that's going on in their lives. Right? We don't have to say, I know you're battling with this, but let me, lay it. let me just get all this out on the table first and just lay out everything that I'm you know, going through. It doesn't mean you, you need to do that. But it does mean that we live, and I like what Ed Welch says here in his book, the Side by Side book. He says this, We live as redeemed tax collectors who have no confidence in our own righteousness, but live because of God's lavish forgiveness and, grace. Okay, and you probably remember that tax collector's disposition in Luke 18. Here's how he is described. The tax collector standing far off. Okay, so there's the first posture. Standing far off. Standing far off from what? The temple. Why? Because What did the temple represent? The presence of a holy God. I'm sinful. He's holy. I'm staying away from that. Okay? Standing far off. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. It was very typical to pray with your eyes lifted to heaven. Wouldn't lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said that man went down to his house justified, right with God. Now we recognize once we are justified, that position again never changes. But hopefully this heart attitude never gets far from us. That we recognize, I'm right with God, praise God, but I still see that sin within me. Right? It keeps me in a place of humility. But I keep looking to Jesus as I remember these things. And in my counsel, I want to keep pointing others to Jesus as well. So we should always be aware of our own sinful tendencies and vulnerability as we seek to minister to those who are likewise battling against sin. I want to show you a couple passages that refer to this. Galatians 6.1 one. Somebody can read that for us. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Okay, so very important there, right? A spirit of gentleness is how we are to help one another, waging war against that sin. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. I'm never looking at that sin and being like, that has no effect on me. There's no way that'll... Right? Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Okay? 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Let anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed, lest he fall. Right? So again, what is this describing for us is this posture of humility that we are to have as we come alongside one another to help one another in this war against sin. Now, in addition to humility, we also, and these kind of go hand in hand, we also want to be patient with one another as God conforms us into the image of his son. Listen, being patient means that, we, that the person that we are speaking with is just like us. One who does not respond perfectly changes slowly, right? And is in need of a patient helper, right? There's probably, each of us, if we took time to go around, we could probably say, I can't believe the patience of God in my life as I have battled with whatever sin it is that you've struggled with in your life. I hope that's your heart's disposition, right? you think about God's patience toward us. And again, listen, here is where bathing our hearts in the gospel is essential. When we think of God's patience toward us in our own battle against sin and being made into the likeness of his son, listen, it gives us the ability to extend that patience toward others who are in this same war as we are. The inspired word that Paul gave to the church at Thessalonica is, I believe, applicable for all of us in this area. If somebody wants to read that for us. And we urge you, brothers, abonish the idol, encourage the faint of help the weak, be patient with the Lord. Okay, good. That, that should be just etched in your mind as you seek to come alongside and help each other, right? So there's admonishing going on. Listen, there's warnings that we give one another, right? Encouragements that we give one another, help that we give one another. But in all of this, we're patient with one another. Be patient with them all, right? So whatever it is that that person is battling with, right? We're patient with it, just as God Is patient with us. So humility and patience are two key components to walking with one another in love and truly helping each other to overcome sin and become more like Christ. To kind of wrap this second point up, I want you to look at Ephesians 4 1 through 3. This is such a great admonition for us or encouragement to us as well as the church of how we should interact with each other. If somebody would like to read that for us, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Okay, good. When we walk this way, when we walk with humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love and being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, that is walking in a manner that is worthy of our call. Right? When we're harsh with one another, when we're impatient with one another, that doesn't rightly reflect the gospel and God's patience and His care for us as His people. Okay? All right, let's look at this third point here. When we recognize first what the gospel is all about, and then secondly, what our posture should be when we look at sin and we recognize our own sin and our vulnerability to it, the third point here is crucial as well. We want to recognize how to lovingly speak the truth in love to others. Okay, so the first two points there are really points for your own heart to continuously consider. Okay, so it's not something that you just think about, you're like, okay, I've got it now, now I can go minister to this person. It's what you're constantly bathing your hearts in. You're constantly remembering the gospel, you're constantly remembering your own sin and your vulnerability to it, and then that positions you in a place where you can truly speak the truth in love to each other, which is what we long to do. There are a few factors that come into play here, and um, these are some that we use when we're more in a, a formal counseling setting, when we're like sitting down uh, with people. And the reason that I say more of a formal setting, because we're, we're really always counseling one another. When somebody comes up to you and you start talking about things going on in your life, counsel's happening, right? Right? You're you're talking to each other about things that are coming from the Word of God, and you want to be, am I giving good counsel, right counsel? right? Am I helping this person? Um, So there's some things that that you want to think through, and you can just write these down. I don't have them listed for you, but I'll go over them slowly if you would like to write them down. Um, These are really applicable, and they're questions that need to be pondered when we speak to one another. So first, we want to ask ourselves when we're talking about sin... Is what I am about to say to this person about sin going to be helpful or hurtful? Is this going to be constructive or destructive? Because we can talk about sin in the wrong way with one another, right? It's like, are you still battling with this? Seriously, man? I mean, this is ridiculous. That's the wrong way, right? That that just crushes a person's heart. Remember what Jesus said, a broken reed he will not break. And a smoking flax he will not snuff out, essentially is what's being said there. Proverbs 20, verse 15 says this, there is gold, and abundance of costly stones. Listen to this. But the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. In other words, what we say can be extremely helpful to people. However, we recognize also that the scriptures say, as we learned this week in VBS, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Okay, So we can be really helpful... Or we can be really hurtful. That being said, we want to think through, is what I'm about to say to this person, is that going to be helpful? All right. This is what we want our speech to be when we speak to one another about sin. Even though it may be difficult and seemingly painful at times to do this, or to have someone talk to you about your own sin, we desire that how we talk about sin and the remedy that we help provide for this person is like a precious jewel to them. Would somebody be able to say that about your counsel to them? Or can you say that to somebody else about their counsel to you? That was like a precious jewel to me, what you said. That was more costly. You could have come and given me a million dollars, and that would have paled in comparison to what you just said and how you said that to me. Paul says this in pretty much the same way in Ephesians 4, verse 29. Somebody can read that for us. Okay, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So we not only want to think about the need to talk about sin, but also the words that we will use in talking about sin. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, we also want to ask ourselves, is this the proper time For me to talk about this issue with this person, or is there a better time? Right? Is this the proper time, or is there perhaps a better time? Listen, we want to be sensitive to what's going on in the other person's life. We just don't want to think that I've got a word and I'm ready to share it with this person. I don't care what's going on in their lives, what the situation may be. They're hearing this today. That's just pride. Right? That's not esteeming others better than yourself. You want to think about, is this really going to be profitable for this person? Is this the proper time for me to talk about this issue? Proverbs 15, 23 here. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season how good it is. A word in season. That helps us to see that there are words that we can share with someone that are out of season, so to speak. That are said at the wrong time, perhaps even in the right way. Right? You got the right words, you're saying it in the right way, but your timing is off. Because of whatever may be going on in that person's life. Another passage here out of Proverbs 15 Somebody can read that for us. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. The mouth of the wicked pours out the The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. There's thought that's given to that. Right? The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. And this passage helps us to see that giving immediate answers to questions is not always the best option. Again, that takes Humility. All right, somebody comes up to you and asks you a question, they expect you to answer it. And and you just blurt something out. Have you ever done that before? All right? You've been there? You just give an answer in that moment because you felt compelled to. I've had that happen many times, unfortunately. Rather than saying, you know what, that's I, I want to think about that and pray about that. If you could just give me, you know, a day or two to think that through, I really I want to help you. And uh, answer that in the best way possible. Now, there are some times where you do need to give an immediate answer based on the situation, but oftentimes we can we can take time. If we don't know how to answer that, we need to humble ourselves and say, you know what, I want to think through that. I want to pray through that and, and really help you, right? So you may recognize a sin that a brother or sister is struggling with, and rather than immediately speaking to them about it, it may be best to take some time in prayer and asking the Lord what would be the best way to address this from His Word? This is what Proverbs 25 tells us. Somebody can read that. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver, like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. Is a wise reproofer to a listener. That's great, isn't it? Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover. So, right, so there's times where we have to speak to one another about hard issues that are going on. You're going to reprove somebody with, with a statement. But it can be like a gold ring when it comes to that, a word fitly spoken. A word fitly spoken, not just to any word, a word fitly spoken. So, you've thought about it, how you're going to answer that. You've pondered, as we've read in Proverbs 15, you've pondered how you're going to answer that. We want to be helpful to one another and build one another up. So timing is very important and profitable when we are seeking to speak to one another about sin. And then finally, and perhaps most importantly, we want to ask ourselves this. Have I prayed about this matter? And am I trusting the Lord to help me? Have I taken the time to take this person before the throne of God, to ask God to help them and to help me in helping them. I love this verse in Psalm 1914. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Okay. May the words, may what I'm about to say to this person be acceptable in your sight, Lord. May this be from you. May this be helpful to them. So we must make sure that we bathe ourselves in prayer as we seek to give counsel to one another that will truly profit. So we are meant to be used by God as instruments of grace in each other's lives, as means by which we become more and more conformed, to the image of Christ and part of that happens as we lovingly speak the truth to one another in love and help one another to fight against that sin. Amen. Yeah. Questions, thoughts? Good. Okay. All right, well, let me let me pray for us. Let me close here. Father, we do thank you as we think about these realities, Lord. We thank you for the gospel. Thank you for first justifying us and counting us righteous in Christ. Thank you for your immeasurable patience toward us as you conform us into the image of his son, of your son, Lord. And thank you for this great promise of glory that we have been given. But Father, we would ask that you would help us to remember that we're not there yet. And you have given the body of Christ as a means of grace to each of us to help us to wage war against this sin that remains. So Father, I just pray that you would create a spirit of humility amongst us when we think about this issue of sin. You would give us a spirit of compassionate boldness to lovingly speak with one another about sin, Lord. Father, we desire to walk in righteousness, but oftentimes, Lord, our own pride blinds us to that reality, keeps us from being open with one another and vulnerable in that sense, Lord. And so we just ask that you would do this work through the power of your Spirit, Lord. This, this is counter-human for people to open up to one another and to speak to one another about sin and weakness that happens in our lives. And so we pray that your spirit would guide and direct us into holiness for the glory of your name and for our own good, for indeed there is freedom when we walk in this way. Please help us to that end, Lord, and we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.